0: what if i told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck what if i told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams this is the right place right now podcast with travis fields and brandon johnson
1: on the NLN net with our final launch poll and continuing the launch countdown, NASA CE. NASA CE, go. Propulsion, go. Hydraulics, go.
0: Electrical system, go. Flight control, go. Instrumentation, go. Comm, go. LC, this is the LD on channel one. LC, you have permission to launch. Roger. Proceeding with the count. Almost 15 seconds, 12, 11, 10. 9, eight, seven. We 7, 5, 4, 3, 2, one. booster ignition and liftoff of Atl- Buckle up everyone, because we're going to outer space. From the age of 4, Abigail Harrison knew that she wanted to go to space. So much so, that at the age of 11, she sat down and wrote out a detailed plan of not just how to become an astronaut, but how she was gonna become the first astronaut to set foot on Mars. At the age of 13, she began to put her plan into action when she began to speak publicly about her dreams of space exploration. By the eighth grade, she had created an award-winning State History Day project titled, Debate and Diplomacy, The History of the International Space Station. The project spanned both history and science and gave her access to conduct interviews with NASA astronauts and industry space experts. It was during this project that Abby created an online presence for herself and became known as Astronaut Abby. Immediately she was embraced as a leader of her generation, the Mars Generation. She found the power of social media allowed her to connect with people around the world who were both space professionals and enthusiasts just like herself. And at the age of 18, Abby founded the Mars Generation. A nonprofit organization supported by an advisory board of astronauts, engineers, scientists, and hundreds of thousands of online supporters. The nonprofit has reached over 25 million people in its first few years of operation with its work to educate and excite kids and adults about space exploration and STEM education. Abby graduated from college in 2019 with degrees in biology and Russian, both in her plan that she wrote at the age of 11 and both setting her up for a career as an astronaut. Today, Abby's a research scientist at Harvard Medical School and recently finished authoring her first book titled, Dream Big, How to Reach for Your Stars. In the book, she gives advice and practical tips to help set you on the path towards finding, reaching, and achieving your goals. What a fantastic and fun opportunity to speak to someone that is an aspiring astronaut. Please enjoy this episode with Astronaut Abby. Astronaut Abby, thanks for being on the show today. How are you?
2: Doing good. Thanks for having me. How are you doing?
0: Doing so well. We were just talking offline, and I think this is where I want to start is whenever I was looking for people to bring onto the show, I found your book, Dream Big, right? And I was like, this is in alignment. She's helping kids identify their dreams and put like there's some worksheets and stuff in there, some activities for you to figure out what you want to do. And then I went down this rabbit hole and found out that you are just one of the coolest people I've probably ever discovered randomly online, starting the Mars generation, going this idea of even going to Mars and being the first person on Mars. But let's start with the Mars generation a little bit to kind of put some context about this. What is the Mars generation and what is your responsibility to this nonprofit?
2: Yeah, so thank you so much for asking. The Mars Generation is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Uh, it's a 501c3 nonprofit that I co founded about uh, six years ago now, and the whole purpose and goal. The Mars generation? Well, there's really two purposes and goals. The first one is to expose the public to science and space exploration. And the second one is to provide tangible and um, real resources and opportunities for young people today to have experiences within STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math. And the idea behind the Mars generation is that if we want to do great things in the future, Things like putting humans, hopefully me, on the surface of Mars, then we need to be investing in, to, in the, the next generation now in order to make that a possibility in the future. And so it's just this, um, this thing that I started uh, about six years ago out of this, this passion that I have for science education and science advocacy. And it's um, grown into this, this beast now of a nonprofit.
0: <laughs> the interesting thing about this though is six years ago, you were one of those kids in a STEM program, right? So how were you able to have the foresight of like, this is the thing I want to do. I have a passion for STEM. I can connect other students to this.
2: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. But um, when I first founded the Mars generation, I was actually within, I was in my first month of college um, where I was pursuing a, a bachelor's in science, uh, in biology, basically. But my my passion for the Mars generation and for science advocacy really started way before that. Back when I was just a um, just a teenager, I was probably twelve or thirteen years old, and I met an astronaut who just completely randomly by chance in an airport. I was waiting in a TSA line with my mom, and I pointed some guy out and, and told her, "You know, mom, I think that that's astronaut Luca Parmitano." And she's like, stop pointing at people, like, don't point at people. <laughs> and she says to me, Abby, just because he's bald doesn't mean that he's an astronaut. Not all astronauts are bald. But I did go up and say hi to this one bald person in the airport, and it turns out he was an astronaut. And I um, so the, the whole purpose behind that story, besides being humorous, is that meeting him when I was 13 years old, he ended up sitting down with me, giving me about an hour of his time in the airport, answered all my questions about becoming an astronaut. And then at the end of that offered to stay in touch and to mentor me in the years coming as I chased after this same goal of space flight. And that was kind of um, a turning point for me where I realized how impactful we have the ability to be in other people's lives and how important it is for us to always be reaching out to the next generation and trying to create more opportunities for them than we've had. Um, and so that's where it really all started for me. It's, it's. Uh, I've always had this dream and this goal of space flight, but in that interaction and, and that series of interactions, I developed a second dream or a second passion, which is for science advocacy.
1: Wow, that's so awesome. I, I think we should point out here, How many thirteen-year-olds would be able to pick out an astronaut in the airport? Right. So
0: (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) He didn't have trading
1: cards. He wasn't in the news all the time. Yeah. Well, but but your uh, your love for space didn't start that day though. I mean, it started when you were four years old, right? How did you know at four years old that you were so in love with space?
2: So when I was about four years old, this is actually one of my, my earliest memories. You know, you have a couple of those when you think back on them of like what you what are some of the first things that you really solidly remember about the world? And for me, one of them was this instance of being probably about four years old, just standing outside. Um, my family must've just come back in, my mom and I come back home and I just spent an extra moment out on the back porch, looking up at the night sky in our backyard. And I have this memory of just being awestruck, just having so many huge questions about the universe. And well, I felt like they were huge. I was four, so it was probably not that um, advanced, but <laughs> to me, it felt like there were just so many questions that had yet to be answered. And I, I just knew in that moment that I wanted to be a part of finding those answers and exploring the mysteries of the universe. And ever since then it's been uh it's been uphill.
0: Yeah. So you you kind of realize that you want to be a part of space or you want to do something with space really young, right? There's no direction with that. And then you have this awesome conversation with an astronaut. But in between there, again to recognize that this person was an astronaut, you were kind of already going down that path, right? What was your parents' involvement in kind of fostering that in you? And what were some of the things that you were doing to to I guess, feed this passion that you had and figure out the pathway?
2: Yeah, so that's, thanks for asking, because that's a really important question. Um, So I was raised by a single mom. My mom was a, a public high school teacher, and she was raising me and my sister, who was two years older than me, and I grew up in the Twin Cities, so in the Midwest. And When I was growing up, there really wasn't much exposure to space exploration or anything uh, that really had to do with that. It wasn't like um, you know, kids who grew up on uh, down in Florida or Texas or Alabama where you can just pop over to a space center or walk outside and watch a launch. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of hands-on interactive stuff, uh, but I was really lucky that when I was 13 years old, I got to have two experiences that really exposed me to space and helped me to continue to stay motivated and interested in STEM as I got older and and all of that. Um, And one of those was when I met Luca in the airport, um, (laughs) which again, just to make it a little bit more context, I, I was a huge, hugely um, emphatic, very invested space nerd as a kid, but I didn't quite recognize every astronaut that easily. I had just seen him speak at an event. And so I'd seen him up on a stage or whatever. And I, yeah, so I knew who I was looking for, but (laughs) Um, so the second event that I had that year that was really exciting and and really I think was impactful to my future was that I got a scholarship to go to space camp. And for me, that was a really important thing to have happened because financially my family wasn't able to afford space camp on our own. And I felt really fortunate to get to go anyways into the, for the first time in my life, get to meet peers, people my same age, who had similar interests to me and who were also really passionate about science and about space exploration um and one of the things that's just so incredible now is that that was about 10 years ago uh, that i received a scholarship to go to space camp and it's really really cool now to be able to say a decade later the mars generation has given away more than 50 scholarships for students to go to space camp and that's it's one of those things that like It doesn't always come full circle, but when it does, it's such a satisfying conclusion.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations. 50. That's awesome.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And we we really worked hard with our scholarships to try and make them as accessible as possible. So removing a lot of barriers like Um, We provide full transportation, and we actually have a volunteer who helps work with the families after they've received the scholarship to make sure that there aren't any hurdles, such as not understanding how to get medical forms filled out or travel or any of that, um, to keep students who are financially disadvantaged from having that experience as well.
1: How does one find out about these scholarships?
2: Yeah, so for the Mars Generation Scholarship, we do a lot of it word of mouth trying to get the word out like now, hopefully there are parents listening who might or teachers or anyone who has young people in their life who might think, hey, like, um, my young person would really benefit from that. And then they pass the information on. Our scholarship information is also available uh, at our website, which is the MarsGeneration.org. And for scholarships for young people in STEM or in any field, really, um, I I would absolutely direct uh, young people back just for general scholarships, not for the Mars generation ones, back to the Internet as your best friend here um, to be able to find. There's all kinds of fantastic lists of scholarships that are available for different stages of life, different um, interests, all of those kinds of things. And that's definitely the place to go.
0: That's great. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure that we put that up, too, because if there's probably opportunities to donate to your 501C3 there, we want to make sure that we're supporting that however we can. So if you're listening to this, you got a kid that's interested in STEM, may want to go to space, go to the science camp or the space camp, Mars generation. We'll make sure we tag that.
2: Perfect. Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that we like to talk about on here is, is you're known all over the Internet as Astronaut Abby, right? Like that is your persona. What is it to, and you want to become this, it's not just like, I want to go to space. I want to be this person who maybe even steps on the moon. It's already been done. I want to be the first human to walk on Mars. Where does that level of inspiration and, and goal setting come from? Because that is further than anybody on the planet can literally reach. Like we have these goals of our business or our relationships or losing weight. You want to walk on a different planet. Where does that come from?
2: I've always been the kind of person that when I set a goal, I set the biggest goal that I can find and I pursue it relentlessly. Um, So that might be part of it. But no, the, the more serious answer is that uh early on when I was a kid I didn't really know all that much about space exploration and uh, wasn't able to define my goals more precisely I just knew that I wanted to be an astronaut to go to space to work and study in space. But as I got older and I learned more about space exploration, more about what we've done in the past, what we're currently doing and what we're looking to do in the future, I realized pretty quickly that Mars has to be our next step. If we are going to continue to explore further within our, our solar system and, and hopefully someday outside of our own solar system as well, then we need to take this step. We need to um, essentially learn something called Earth independence, where... The thing that makes Mars so important to us as explorers is that it forces us to step outside of our comfort zone in a way that we've never done before. Uh, So, for instance, when we went to the moon and now with the return to the moon that's hopefully going to be happening within this decade, we were still able to receive a lot of assistance from Earth. It's only a three day trip to the moon, which means that if something goes wrong, of course you can actually get material, physical supplies, but even more importantly, you have mere instantaneous communication with the astronauts on the moon or on the spacecraft and Earth. Now that's not the same for Mars. For Mars, we have anywhere from a 10 to a 30 minute delay just because of the vast distances between Mars and Earth. It's unavoidable. Um, Radio waves can only travel so fast. And so we have this communication lapse, which is really going to create an issue for travelers, for explorers, because it means that we can't rely and having all of the knowledge of humanity at our fingertips. If something goes wrong for the explorers on Mars, they're going to need to be able to deal with it immediately without relying on anything from Earth. And that's really what grabbed my interest as I learned more about space exploration and more about what our next steps forward would be with, was this idea of Earth independence, of creating situations and ways that we can explore where we don't really require um, relying on earth as our, our continual checking in point, lifeboat. Ex- yeah, exactly. To, to really, truly learn how to explore farther. That's a necessary thing for us to figure out.
1: What does the path to Mars look like from here? Like long-term big picture? How close are we?
2: Right. <laughs> it's a pretty common question is like, well, when, are well, when are we going to get there? So I can't make any promises, of course, and I'm not officially associated with NASA or any space agency, but I would say that within the next two to three decades is very, very likely, in my opinion. I think that it is something that, yeah, absolutely. I think that for any young person right now who's growing up, it's a great thing to set your sights on or your goals on because it's very realistic that potentially me, but maybe someone else will be the the first person to walk on Mars and that we'll all get to experience that, so which who knows, there's a lot of technological hurdles standing in the way. It's not just something that we focus on a lot in the media because it's one of the flashier parts of space exploration is the actual transportation to get from point A to point B. But the reality behind the situation is that that's just one small piece of the puzzle. We need all kinds of environmental control and life support support systems. We need all kinds of landing gear and um, habitats. And and just, there's a lot of science and um, engineering to be done before we're ready to have humans live on the surface of Mars. But I'm of the opinion that it can be done and that it can be done within the next couple of decades.
0: That'd be such a cool thing to see in our lifetime. Cause I feel like we have this weird gap of space exploration, right? Like mm-hmm. the end of the sixties, it was put a man on the moon and that was a big thing for everybody. It was exciting. It got us in Russia competing, it got people to put away their differences and focus on the achievements of the dream of landing on the moon. And then there's this gap where like, okay, we do some explorations of the moon and then those phase out. There's not really much else going on. And now we're privatizing space travel, right? We have these individuals with more money than they know what to do with. So they're putting regular everyday people into orbit We might get to see someone walk on Mars, you're telling me now. So we are actually going to get to experience some of this. What are some of those big roadblocks that we need to get over in order to get to Mars other than like the landing and stuff like that? Is there I don't even know what to ask here because I don't know what I don't know. But I feel like there's just so much involved in that, that it's going to be I felt like it was much further out than a couple decades
2: Yeah, so um, what it comes down to is, I mean, and this is the case with many things in the world, what it comes down to is uh, funding. So if NASA was being funded at a higher level, if it was being funded anywhere near the way it was funded back during the Apollo program, then it really would. um, It's not that any of these issues that we're facing with Mars missions are unsolvable, they're just difficult, and they do take resources and um, and such to solve. Uh, but so some of the some of them that are particularly interesting, apart from landing, and obviously the the actual rocket from point A to point B again. Um, another one that's really really important and impactful for us to solve or to learn more about is radiation shielding, because Mars is again it's a outside of Earth's orbit, it's not protected by Earth's magnetosphere. And that means that um, both during the transit from Earth to Mars and during the time that astronauts actually spend on the surface of the planet, radiation is going to be a big issue. And we're going to need to develop better radiation shielding, um, both in the spacecraft and then in the eventual habitat on the surface for the astronauts in order to protect them. And those are some some of the kinds of issues that um, that have to be thought about now and have been being thought about for, for many, many decades. And so that's part of why, because it's, it's not uncommon for when I say, you know within the next couple of decades, we could be on Mars for people to be surprised by that, because that does seem, when you think about all of the daunting tasks in the way, um, it seems like a pretty optimistic timeline, but the reality is that all of these things, this research, it's been being worked on for, for decades and decades and decades now. And we're fortunate enough that we get to um, come in at the tail end of that a little bit. And it gives us a lot of hope for what we're going to be capable of doing in the next couple of decades.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about your journey, if, if you don't mind, because I read somewhere or maybe Travis read somewhere and told me that you sat down at a very young age and wrote a plan for how you were going to go through this. I kind of want to know where you're at on the plan because right now you're working at Harvard, right? you said you're not associated with NASA, but is that the goal eventually? Tell us a little bit about this plan that you wrote as a child and where you're at on it.
2: Yeah. So it's a little bit of a funny story with, um, with that plan, which is that I, like I've mentioned earlier in the interview, I wanted to be an astronaut from about the age of four. And as you can imagine, my mom thought that maybe I was just saying I wanted to be an astronaut the way that all kids say, well, I want to be a princess or I want to be a, you know, there's all these things. It's astronaut falls into that category of like, oh, they heard it in a book and, you know, they'll forget about it in three days or whatever. It wasn't really the same for me. I kept talking about it for years and years and years and years. And eventually after many, many years of hearing about this dream, my mom sat down with me, I think I was about 11 years old. And, um, When she tells this story, she calls it the come to Jesus talk, which was, (laughs) which is basically that she sat down with me and she told me like, Abby, I know that you want to be an astronaut, but here are the numbers, like 18,000 people applied in the last selection to NASA and only eight of them were chosen. That's blah, 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 X percentage point of a, a, or X decimal of a percentage um, that were selected. And she essentially tried to like convince me not to do it. Um, which is a funny, it's a funny direction for a parent to take, but her perspective was that she needed me to be prepared for what I was going into. If I was going to have a big dream and actually chase it, I needed to know what the, what the realities were. And so I left that meeting and um, that conversation with my mom and I came back the next day having typed out those two different plans that you mentioned that I could either go down the, um, the military route to become an astronaut and here's what I would need to do. Or I could go down a civilian scientist route and here's what I would need to do. Uh, And it's kind of crazy to think back now, I'm 24 now, um, to think back on what some of the pieces of that original plan that I wrote when I was 11, because a lot of them have changed, but some of them stayed the same and some of them I've already um, uh, accomplished. And so it's fun to look back and realize that oh, I've learned Mandarin and Russian uh, and Spanish in order to facilitate international relations during missions in the future. Oh, I've graduated with a degree in biology. Oh, I've gotten to do internships in NASA laboratories and done astrobiology research. And now I work at Harvard. And it's like um, a lot of those things I, I did check off along the way Um, becoming a pilot, becoming an advanced scuba diver, you know, skydiver, all of these different pieces. Um, But the cool thing about having a plan like that is that it changes all the time and new stuff is constantly being added as well. And at least that's one of my favorite parts about this type of a a plan is that, you know, there's always something new and and exciting to, to be working on when you have a dream as big as this one. So for instance, right now I am starting an EMT certification in order to um, uh, get medical training with the with the intention there that it might be important someday in the future, but if, uh, if I'm the only one on Mars and I have to do some emergency medicine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's incredible to me, even at 11 years old, you had this giant dream, you wrote a plan for it and you were able to stick to that plan. And 10 years later, you're, you're marking some stuff off of that plan. And I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more We we talk about your book, uh, Dream Big. But how how at 11 years old were you able to just have such a laser-focused plan and, and goal and dream that nobody could talk you off of that plan?
2: I've thought about that a lot. And I think that it it was just a personality trait, I suppose, that... I really did have that, that drive and that, like you said, that laser focus. And I look at it also as a, a matter of fortune. Um, I think that I was incredibly lucky and, and that it was just a lucky piece of the universe, I guess you could say, that I discovered what my dream was at such an early age um, because it allowed me to really chase after it with, with a lot of um, vigor, I guess, and I know that that's not always the case for, for people. For instance, my sister, who's two years older than me, it took her a lot more time to find what it was that she was passionate about. And I look at it and I say, I think that part of what allowed me to be so driven and focused was that I um, was so early to the game as well, that I figured out what it was I wanted to do so quickly and was able to really commit to it.
1: Yeah. Well, is that, a, is that something that's repeatable? or teachable or because I, I know a lot of adults that like I'm 37, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Right. <laughs> like how many people are in that situation where we, we you don't know what your passion is, or maybe you have a dream, but you've been told your dream is too big. And, and then here's Abby over here saying she wants to go to Mars, you know? So how do you, how do you keep those dreams, those big dreams at the forefront when you're just hitting nothing but opposition?
2: I think that one of the best things that you can do, whether you're still chasing after your dream or you're trying to revitalize a dream that maybe um, had been dampened a little bit earlier on in life. uh, in, In both of those situations, my best piece of advice would be to really control the things that you're exposed to, to the best of your abilities. So to try and create a situation where you are just passively receiving a lot of positive stimulus in your daily life. So for instance, um, uh, making sure to follow people that are inspiring on social media. And that way when you're, if you're anything like me, spending your, you know, 10 minutes over a cup of coffee in the morning, scrolling through social media, instead of seeing things about, you know, XYZ pop star or fashion, you know, yada, yada. Instead, I like to follow people who inspire me in that way. I can spend those couple minutes every day really um, drinking in some of that inspiration and and surrounding myself with um, sounds hokey to say, but like positive vibes. Right.
0: (laughs) I think that's brilliant. I think that's something that's definitely in our control that people don't pay enough attention to. I've scrubbed my social media frequently for that reason. If you find yourself going through it and being disheartened or feel like it's crushing your dreams, like you have control over that follow Abby, follow whoever that inspires you or just gives you some lift in your day. I think that's brilliant advice.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And I think it goes like social media is such a great way to do it, but it goes into other parts of our lives as well. It's, you know, what are the, what are the books or articles that we're reading? What are the other you know types of media that we're exposing ourselves to? Are, are they things that are going to motivate us and, um, and also challenge us and make us think about things differently and look at life in, in different ways and, and all of that. And so it's, it's one of those things that I think a lot of times we forget that we, we have the control to do that. It's, it's all up to us what we surround ourselves with. And in my opinion, that is step one, the very first thing to do to, um, to really make it more likely that you'll find what it is that you're passionate about or what your big dream in life is.
1: Control that environment. That's awesome. Control that
2: environment. Yep.
1: <laughs> it's a very simple thing to do. Not always easy.
2: Yeah, it's simple. In, in when you talk about it, sometimes the practice can be a little bit more difficult, but it is, it is one of those things where it's just like m- many things with a big dream, consistency is key. And so that goes for, for this step as well as many other steps. Since the more consistent you are, the, more, um, the better results you'll see in the long run.
0: Yeah. Can we get into that consistency? Because you just rattled off a bunch of accomplishments that if any one, most people would be happy with. You know, three languages, you're working at Harvard, you're fill in the blank, your list goes on and on and on. And you just went through them like they are no big deal. But what is it about you that makes achieving these incremental steps so possible? Is there something special about you? Is it like, what is it that allows you to keep being consistent, showing up and checking these things off along the way?
2: I do think that it it partly comes down to personality traits um, in that I I have a lot of, uh, like we talked about earlier, a lot of um, dedication and a lot of grit. But when I say personality traits, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, there there's a portion of that that is inherent. But I think the majority of our personalities, especially with these kinds of traits, are actually... Um, learned and there there are things that we can practice and that some of us learned them when we were kids or when we were young adults some of us learn them now there are still lots of skills that I am trying to (laughs) to pick up currently Um, but one of them that I learned really early on and got a lot of uh practice in was this goal setting and I honestly think that that is a big part of what has allowed me to stay so committed and so consistent is that I I know how to set goals, and then I know how to make incremental steps to actually reach those goals. That's one of the things I learned really early on is that you can't just say, oh, you know, in 30 years, I want to land on the surface of Mars and then hope that somehow that'll happen. Or in 20 years, I want to be an astronaut and then hope that that'll happen. You have to then have your larger goal and then create all of these small incremental steps that you can achieve. And then each time that you achieve one of those It's uh, a a portion that you get to check off and say, I achieved this goal. Um, If you're always waiting to achieve that that final larger goal, you'll never get any of the positive reinforcement from having made positive um, forward moving steps. So I think that that, that's a really big part of it is learning how to break things down into manageable um, achievements.
0: So practical.
2: Yeah, yeah. To make it more practical and to make it something that you're not always looking towards the future saying like, oh, someday I'll achieve that instead, turn it into smaller pieces that you can achieve now that will then help to drive you to continue to stay consistent, to continue towards that dream in the future.
1: What did you use to learn that? Was there a specific method or a specific curriculum?
2: Um, I learned it through the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> Best way to learn it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I just I I had plenty of times when I and again, this is one of those things that it always sounds so silly when I was sick, when I say like, oh, I've experienced plenty of failures as I've reached towards my dreams because I'm young enough now that I really shouldn't be talking in such a, a Uh, elderly fashion, I guess, but because I discovered my dream so early, I have about two decades chasing after it so far, which means that I've had plenty of opportunities now to, um, to figure things out, sometimes the easy way and sometimes the hard way. And I think that's one of them that I just, I really did figure out the hard way. I had so many experiences in my life where I was, you know, I set out to do something and many of those instances I failed. And um, it was through those failures and those mistakes and those mess ups that I was able to then figure out, okay, what is my personal best practice, set of best practices for achieving any of these dreams? Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, there's a certain level for anyone who's interested in learning how to set goals and how to chase after big dreams. There is a certain level of it that you can learn from things like this, listening to this, um, or, you know, reading, reading books or watching interviews with, with psychologists and, and people who have studied this. But I do also think there's a certain level of it that has to be learned personally, because, anyone else's plan I could I could tell you exactly like I said how I break down my goals and how I make it achievable and all of that it's going to be different for each and every person which means that there has to be a portion of it that's just self-discovery and um, figuring things out the hard way to some extent
1: yeah there are some principles that kind of track with any kind of method of learning which you've been able to capture you have a book called dream big let's talk about that for a minute how did that book come about
2: Um, So Dream Big was really, it's one of those things where I'd always thought to myself in the back of my mind, I was always like, you know, I'd really love to write a book someday, but I I definitely saw myself doing that as a a retired, you know, having uh, already gone to Mars and back and, you know, living in some small cottage by the seaside, writing up novels or something. I did not expect it. (laughs) When people ask me what I want to do when I get back from, you know, Mars going on, what do you even do at that
0: point? Like, your vision's impeccable though for your future. Like, <laughs> seriously, you're, <there>. you're,
1: <laughs> you're already thinking about what am I going to do when I get back from after from, I land on Mars. Mars. I love it.
2: You got to have something to come back to, right? <laughs> but so all of that to say, um. <laughs> Uh, All of that to say that I never uh, really imagined myself at this stage in life writing a book, but it's an opportunity that I almost stumbled into. I found myself in the right place at the right time and uh, had an agent who really was, who found me actually a literary agent and was really compelled by the work that I was doing with the Mars generation and felt like the story was one that would be good to get out into the world. And so I worked with her for a couple of years on this concept, trying to figure out like what was the right book that I wanted to write. Because um, originally she came to me and thought, like, well, maybe an autobiography or something like that. And I was like, well, I'm not a narcissist, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I'm 20, so, <laughs> like it's be a short book. <laughs> exactly. I was like, there's
2: not that much yet to, to write. But so we we worked around with this idea for a while and what we ended up coming down to and what I ended up writing and um, uh, writing for Penguin Random House in the long run was Dream Big, which is a practical guidebook for anyone, but especially geared towards and focused at um, young adults and uh, and kids and just really filled with all of the, the lessons that I've learned throughout the years as I've chased after this big dream and this big goal and um, it has a lot of like really interactive portions to help people uh, you know to help the reader as they're reading through it not just to read a book but then to actually have opportunities to take the things that are being talked about and practice them because that's the way in my opinion that skill building happens and it's much easier instead of reading a book that's giving you um tangible ways that you can act on your dreams to make them real in the future instead of reading it and then hoping that you remember all of them and do them afterwards i wrote this book with the intention of like i'm just gonna i'm, I'm gonna tell the reader when to stop and when when to try and practice one of these and to you know figure it out and then tuck that skill into their metaphorical tool belt and um so that that's, it was a little bit of a, uh, a a digression there, but, um, yeah, that's dream big. It's
0: (laughs) awesome. What is, so what are some of the principles of, of dreaming big in the, the subtitle, how to reach for your stars. So that to me implies that there's some discovery there of like, what are my stars? Can you give us some of the principles or some of the high notes of your book and where it walks us through?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the very beginning of the book, the very first couple of chapters are actually about how to discover what it is that you're passionate about, what it is that, what, what is your big dream, and also talking about different ways to discover that, tools and methods to go about uh, figuring that out. Um, And then after that, it goes into, uh, the majority of the chapters are about skills and tools that you can use along the way to actually achieve um, your dream or your passion once you've figured out what it is. So for instance, there's um, one of my favorite chapters is about fear. And so that's something that whether you have a dream like mine, where there's a lot of uh, physical danger that's involved.
0: <laughs> Real or, fear. At Mars. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. It's, it's pretty scary, but, um, Every dream, even if even if it's not like that, even if there's no physical danger or, or realistic danger involved, dreams are inherently scary. And especially talking about them can be really scary as well, which it seems like that shouldn't be the scariest part, but oftentimes it is just putting it out into the world and being vocal about it. And so that's uh, that's definitely one of my favorite chapters, is the one that addresses fear and how how that Um, isn't something we should ignore when we're thinking about our dreams. But instead, it's something that we have to learn, not just how to manage, but also how to use in a positive way.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's something that Travis and I are actually working for on this podcast is how do we embrace those fears and take on that image of like, this is who we are moving forward. You're astronaut Abby, whenever you go out into public, that's who you are, and you own it 100%. And telling people those goals, especially as a kid. What was that feedback from your peers? And I know you have, you've controlled your environment a little bit now, but you have to have some backlash of that's ridiculous, right?
2: You would think that's the thing is that I look back on this and I, I don't know if I just was, um, oblivious to any negative reactions or if I actually did get this lucky, but my memory of having been in elementary and middle and high school and all of this in those instances where you really can't control your environment as much as you'd like to, because it's not your choice where you are, or who you're around. Um, but my memory of all of those years is that my peers were so incredibly supportive of my uh my big dreams and when I was in high school I used to walk around and um kids that I didn't even know because I went to a really large high school probably like 2,000-2,500 students kids that I wouldn't even know would like point at me in the hallway and call out like hey there's our astronaut like hey buddy did you know that she's gonna go to space someday and it was just like instead of being bullied or taunted or anything like that, I had all of these people around me who were really supportive and who were excited about the fact that someone from our, our, um, you know, local area had these big dreams and was acting on them. And I don't know how much of that, like I said, I'm not sure how much of that was fortune that I just ended up with a good bunch of kids or whatever, or how much of it was the level of confidence that I had when I spoke about my dream, because I think that that, Helped to some extent. It's hard to make fun of someone or to poke fun at their dreams when they have just an unshakable confidence in in it.
0: Yeah, when they have a fifteen year plan, thirty year plan written out,
1: two exactly. paths, not one plan, two pathways,
2: just in case, you know.
1: Mom, <laughs> well, here's how we're doing with this. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the teachable moment. Just be oblivious to the naysayers, right?
2: Yeah. I mean what's the point of listening to them anyways? Uh, (laughs) So just completely turned that off.
0: (laughs) Well, we only have probably about 10 more minutes of your time here. There's still a lot of really cool stuff I wanna touch on. You talked about you're working towards your EMT to kind of check one of those boxes on your plan. What are some other things that you're working on right now that's in alignment with the goal and how are you navigating the long-term plan right now?
2: So in terms of things that I'm currently working on, A couple things, in addition to that EMT, I'm also currently working on an instrument rating, which I am already a pilot, but I'm working on the next step as a pilot is basically to get something called an instrument rating, which allows you to fly in poor weather conditions and poor visibility. So that is um, one of the pieces that I'm working on right now. Uh, In addition to that, I just, finished applying to grad school, which is why I look so exhausted all the time nowadays. No, I'm kidding. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, that's a slog for sure. Um, no, so I just finished applying to grad school. So fingers crossed that uh, in the next couple of months, I'll have good news on that front. But that's really the next big step for me in terms of um, when I look at my plan and I, I break it up into these smaller pieces, of some of them are uh, things that I can do along the way, such as becoming a pilot or um, getting my EMT or any of those types of smaller pieces, but some of them take a fair amount of time, such as getting a PhD. And so that's definitely one that I put into a, a box of, um, when you ask about, like, what are the longer term steps on my plan? Definitely uh, graduate schools a long-term one that I'm acting on currently.
0: And what is your field of study going to be in grad school?
2: Biogeochemistry.
0: (laughs) Bless you. Say that again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I couldn't pick just one field. So I went for the largest one I could find. Um, So I'm really interested in biogeochemistry, which is essentially a it sounds like it's a combination of biology geology and chemistry and it's a way that we're able to more um i guess you could say more holistically or from a more wholesome perspective look at the environment and environmental features so in particular i have an interest in um, deep sea marine biology and so when you're looking at environments like that you have to really consider all of the the, not just the biology, but also the geology and the chemistry that are involved in those types of unique habitats.
0: That, you know, we've here we hear that deep water exploration is very similar to space exploration in the fact that it's, it's kind of untouchable, but to me that feels like two completely different worlds. How is that intentionally getting you towards your goal of walking on Mars?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's a good question. Um One of the things that I, learned early on was that in order to make this a a meaningful and realistic thing to pursue, this this huge dream of becoming an astronaut and and walking on Mars, in order to make that realistic to pursue, I had to make sure that everything that I did along the way was worthwhile to me to do, even if I never achieved my dream. Even if I never end up in space, I want to be able to look back on my life and say, that was still a life that was well-lived and, you know, I I enjoyed it and I feel like I made a difference. And so that's how I kind of um, looked at this perspective of choosing what to study and what to specialize in was I wanted to choose something that would help prepare me uh, to apply to the astronaut program, but also choose something that I was passionate about and interested in apart from from its connection to to space. So that was an important portion of why I chose this field. But the other portion is that working in such difficult environments, working in in the extremes that we find here on Earth helps prepare us then to work in the extremes that we find not on Earth as well. So even though you're kind of going to uh, extreme differences when you're talking about deep sea environments, you have a lot of pressure, you have a lot of temperature variation, all of that. Once you go to space, you find that you have similar issues that you're working with. You have huge temperature variations. You have huge issues with pressurization. Um, All of these uh, different resource management skills that you need for deep sea exploration, you also need for space exploration. And so I think I have hopefully found the sweet spot of a a field that's really exciting and intriguing to me and also kind of meets that that goal of um, continuing to create skills that will be applicable to space travel.
0: You're brilliant. You're astronaut brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. A lot of people see things like this and they see all the things you have to do, right? You need grad school and you need your EMT certification. You need 17 languages in your back pocket and you need all these life experiences to be, what'd you call earth independent? Yeah,
2: yep, to gain earth independence.
0: So you basically have to be independent on your own away from earth. Like, so you're setting all these things up in your favor. It feels like for a parent, that would be a very expensive path to go on for a, for a parent who's sitting here and we've talked a little bit about your scholarships, but there's their son or daughter wants to explore the stream of space. What are some pathways other than your scholarship opportunities that they can kind of stack those odds in their favor? Cause it feels like it would be a hard, it's hard to come about the resources for something this Big as being a part of NASA or space exploration.
2: Yeah, it is. And that's one of the big issues is that there is a a resource gap here of um, what people have the ability both to put on their resume, but even in the first place be exposed to. Uh, And and that's a huge problem. It's something that at the Mars Generation, so anyone who's um, listening should definitely keep an eye out because we are hoping to expand our scholarship programs actually within the next couple of months to start covering some of these. Um, experiences for uh, students who are within their college years as well, um, but outside of that, uh, my best piece of advice—two pieces. One would be um, for parents and uh, and young people who are interested in space and in STEM to really lean into community resources and to um, start. Uh, start that process by either emailing or calling or or visiting um, teachers and um, librarians in the area and uh, if there are any social workers at the school, anyone like that, um, and asking them, just point blank, asking them what kinds of resources they know about that, uh, that your student might be able to partake in because you could be surprised. There's a lot of great programs out there um, and it, the hardest part with all of these programs is actually getting, getting uh, the word out to the people who need to know about that. So that's definitely step one is to just explore what your options are and what your resources. Um, a second piece of advice would be for any young people who are interested in this, who are a little bit older, uh, high school students or college students maybe, one of the best ways to go about being able to afford doing these things is to actually get paid for the work that you're doing. And so my biggest um, piece of advice for students of that age would be to look for summer internships and to don't ever think that you're too young um, to, to do a summer internship in a field that you're interested in because it's absolutely appropriate for high school students to be reaching out to professors, to be asking if they have any open spots or would be interested in having a summer intern, or to apply through some of the more that's one way that students can do it. You can also apply directly through programs um, that have already been set up. So for instance, NASA has a fantastic internship program where you can intern on all kinds of different projects ranging in you know, electrical engineering, biology, communications and writing, anything you could imagine you can intern in um, with NASA. And you're not, you're not too young to do that. Like there, there really isn't um, an age that I would say is too young and I think uh, that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that those opportunities are out there. You just have to proactively be looking for them.
0: Oh, that's brilliant advice. And I think that is a great place to leave this. So to find you, the Marsgeneration.org or is it astronautabby.com? Those are the two websites, correct?
2: Yes, yep. Those are both, uh, you can find me at both of those. And then myself and the Mars Generation are also on pretty much every social media platform. So feel free to come join us there as well.
0: Yeah, check out the blog. There's some fantastic stuff there as well. You're doing great work. Thank you, Abby, for everything that you do and the support that you provide. Young people who are excited about science, tech, engineering, math, space,
1: you're, you're killing it.
2: Thank you, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure to talk with you guys today.
1: And if anyone out there is listening, Abby is proof that your goals are not too big
2: exactly <laughs> any goal that you put out there can't possibly sound crazy compared to my goal so feel free to just put them all out there
1: <laughs> yeah well abby you are an incredible human you're inspiring i think people are really going to enjoy this this interview and i can't wait to see what you do in the future and i, I like honestly i can't wait to see what you do when you come back from mars someday
2: finally write that series of novels right
1: (laughs) yeah that's it well thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us this morning and look forward to to seeing what you do in the future
2: thank you so much i appreciate it
1: thanks abby it's been
2: a pleasure